You are listening to The Depression Session at 99.1 FM Downtown Radio. Each week, we'll have a new guest tell the story of their depression. I'm your host, Laura Milkins, and thank you for joining us on The Depression Session. Just a note for my listeners, I want to make sure you understand that this is a show about depression, and some of the content can be triggering, so please take care of yourself if something on the show brings up difficult feelings, and seek professional help if you need it. Thank you. Hello, and welcome to the Depression Session on Downtown Radio. Today we have with us in the studio Molly. Molly is a 46-year-old wife and mother of two, a lifelong Southerner, and a writer. We'll be right back with Molly, but first, let's talk about isolation. I feel like isolating, and I do not feel like leaving the house. I don't feel like calling anyone or connecting. I've been feeling that way for several days. I know this is a typical thing that happens with depression. I don't know if it's kind of a normal thing or if I'm sliding into like kind of a depressive state. So I looked up on goodtherapy.org, and it says isolation. The experience of being separated from others may result from being physically removed from others as when a person lives in a remote area, or it can result from the perception of being removed from a community, such as when a person feels socially or emotionally isolated from others. Social isolation is distinct from the experience of solitude, which is simply the state of being alone, usually by choice. Taking time to be alone can be a healthy, rejuvenating experience that allows us to reconnect with our own needs, goals, benefits, values, and feelings. But when a person experiences too much solitude or feels socially isolated from others, he or she may develop feelings of loneliness, social anxiety, helplessness, or depression, among others. I wouldn't say that this is, I mean, it is by choice, but for some reason, sometimes when I want to be by myself, it feels like a healthy choice. I just need to decompress. And sometimes when I feel like being by myself, it feels unhealthy. And I'm not sure what the difference is. Maybe when it's unhealthy isolation, it feels like an avoidance like there's an extra weight to it, not a relief, like, oh, I get some alone time. I'm just going to spend it by myself. It feels more like I'm not up for engaging with the world and I think I'll retreat. Now, I don't think it, that is strictly bad. I think that something depression does for me is slow me down and allow me to take a break when otherwise I wouldn't. But it always makes me a little afraid because I don't want to go back to a place where I don't want to see my friends anymore. So I'm going to make myself call a friend and do something fun today. I hope that you all are having an okay experience of your depression and able to reach out to people if you need to. Thanks. Today we have with us in the studio Molly. Molly is a 46-year-old wife and mother of two, a lifelong Southerner and a writer. Hello, Molly. Welcome to the Depression Session. Hi, how are you? Good, I'm good. So what's new with you? What are you working on these days? I've really been trying to get back into my writing. I kind of took a hiatus for a while. Um, I'm a memoirist and personal essay writer. Currently, I'm writing a story about me and my dad, and it has to do with my depression and how he began to accept it because he was old school, and you pull yourself up by your bootstraps and you get over it. And it's a story about when he began to accept that his daughter is very ill and uh, how he came around to being one of my biggest, I can't talk about my parents a lot and how much have helped me, I'll start crying, but how he became one of my biggest supporters and still is. So and I've wanted to write this story for so long. So that's what I'm working on right now. Wow, that's cool. 
I actually am co-authoring a book with my mother. (laughs) (laughs) About a a big adventure I took and her part in it. It's it's a good process. I love those stories. I love those little, I call them little life stories that are so important to tell. Well, that, I'm, I'm, I'm big into storytelling, hence the depression session. I just like to hear people's stories and each, you know, there's a thread through it that's the same because the show is about depression and people's experiences of it. But the way and the stories behind depression, are they're so huge. There's so many. Yes. Well, Molly, tell us the story of your depression. Okay. And again, thank you for giving me this platform to reach out to people who are suffering so but when my doctor first suggested ECT electroconvulsive therapy or as it's better known as shock treatment I was horrified the visions of the scenes I'd seen on Hollywood one flower of the cuckoo's nest horror films used as a punishment device used as a torture device I was like no that's just too crazy I know I've got bipolar 2 disorder (laughs) and I've had it since I was 27, I just, I, I can't go there, but this was about 2012 and I was beginning the worst mental breakdown of my life. And, but my doctor who specialized in ECT wanted to get a little more aggressive, but it took me two years to accept the fact that my garden variety depression, my clinical depression was probably bipolar disorder. And it, that was even too crazy. It's like, no, I don't have it. And it took me two years to come to this. And because bipolar disorder people were, you know, delusional, they were crazy, they were dangerous. And I guess as I began thinking about my story, I realized that I was having stigma and prejudice against myself. So it was, you know, something that I'm going to have to evolve away from, I think, to come to terms with my my illness again to between 2012 2015 were the darkest and most dangerous times of my life i'd bounced i I worked in a place where there's a lot of opportunity to move around i bounced around four jobs at that place my professional reputation was pretty much in the toilet how i got that last job i i don't know but i finally landed my dream job as a writer editor finally that as people who have dealt with depression before, it likes to take things away from you. You know, friends, jobs, family, opportunities. And it just, it takes it away. And that's one of the side effects of it that that I don't think really people realize and how hurtful and painful that is for the person who's suffering. So I basically became pretty much incapacitated. I wasn't going to work for weeks at a time, in bed a lot. Um, at work, I was put on probation, told I was a burden on the office. People were gossiping about me. I could hear them. You know, I was becoming uh, isolated, even hated. I was lazy, and I was incompetent. But I could do this job, a writer and editor my whole life, but it, the depression was taking it away from me. And on a, on Good Friday, I up and left. Didn't realize I wasn't coming back. I just up and left and never came back. And uh, I went on FMLA, and I pulled out all of my retirement. And like I said, I had worked there on that in that place for 10 years, and not one friend has since called me to check on me. Not one. And that is, and all the hurt, that really hurts. Because I was just lazy, and I was incompetent. I wasn't sick. 
you know, if I'd had any other disease, cancer, severe diabetes or anything, I had people would have been calling me, wanting to check on me, but no one, no one has, has called. But again, side effect of the, of the disease. So here I was a total wreck. My parents have been taking care of me and I'm very lucky that I did have such a great support system. A lot of people don't have that. And I was just fortunate enough too. And so she took me to my doctor and, and he was, we were talking and I said, I can't take this anymore. I cannot take it anymore. I don't know, you know what else to do. And he asked me about suicide. I said, yeah, I'm real close. You know, I'm really close to doing it. I had ideation. I thought about it, not, not every day, but every second of the day. But the only thing that was tethering to me to this world was my child. He kept me here, but that tether was getting thinner and thinner. I could feel it. You know, I got to the point where he'd be better off without me and that kind of thinking that goes on. But I'll never forget. He said, Molly, um, you do realize that if you do commit suicide, that your son has a 50% chance of doing the same as he grows up. And that was like a slap in the head. And I could not bear the thought of my child being in this much pain and me not being there to help him through it. And that's when I said, sign me up. I want the ECT. I want it. So my fear of it and my trepidation about it got overwhelmed by you can't live this way anymore. You've tried everything. You've got to try this. The doctor's not going to suggest ECT in the beginning. And if he does, mm, this was after 20 years of trying everything. So what's it like to, you know, have ECT? So this is it, this was April, and mom would drive an hour to come pick me up. It, it was before dawn. You have to get there. And, you know, I'd check in. They'd weigh you. Then you go down and get your IV. And you want to get that IV first because that means you're in line. You know, you're the first or two in line to get your treatment done. And it was really interesting sitting around with the veterans of ECT who have done it for years or they were on their third treatment or whatever. And we'd all be sitting around holding on to our IVs, waiting on our turn. you got to find humor and things, you know. And the funniest thing was the veteran patients knew to jump up on the gurney first. (laughs) Gurney that was in the hall. So that means they wheel you in so you can go ahead and get your treatment done. And basically, they roll you in. They put electrodes on my head and my chest. Some words of comfort. I totally trusted my doctor. He was this, He's a specialist in this treatment. And they give you a sedative and a muscle relaxer. And you go to sleep. It is nothing like what, like I said, the terrible things you see on TV and the movies. You're not thrashing around. You don't feel it. Then you wake up on a gurney out in the hall. And it's like, have you ever slept so hard that you wake up and you don't know what day it is or what you're supposed to do? Or That's kind of what it's like. And you're disoriented for a few seconds. And then you're okay. You know, you're, you're all right. Mom drive me home. I did this at least six times. I'm like, you know, I can't really remember. And that's one of the side effects of ECT is short-term memory loss. If you're thinking about ECT, do the research like I did to make sure, okay, can I sometimes the side effects are worth trying to do what you need to do. But some of the funny things were like, I had lunch with my boyfriend and my mother and I didn't remember that. So, well, you know, when we went to IHOP and I didn't, I don't remember ever eating with, I don't remember. 
I, you know, mom, you really need to meet my boyfriend's parents. She said, honey, we did. I said, I don't remember that (laughs) because it was during that time. And then a friend took me to one of my treatments and I didn't remember her taking me. That is very disconcerting. That's very jarring. But having been depressed for 20 years, your memory's all messed up anyway. And sometimes I rely on my friends to, I remember when we did so-and-so. We did, (laughs) you know, but depression kind of messes with that anyway. So, and I think of ECT as as defragging a computer. When your computer gets so bogged down with viruses and you have to defrag it or reboot it or clean it up, that's the kind of, from my experience, what ECT did is it rebooted my brain because, you know, it causes a seizure and it just cleaned it, everything out, I felt like. I, I should have done it long ago and I'm glad that got got to the point where I felt comfortable doing it. At my follow-up appointment, this was very interesting. Uh, I asked my doctor about, okay, so how long do these effects last? He said, well, it, he goes, you know, I have people coming in. Uh, hey, I was good for five years. I needed again or 10 years. He said, but it, there's not really a whole lot known about the prognosis of ECT. And I said, why? Because <laughs> he was the expert at it. He said, you know, you need research money to research medical procedures. And big pharma doesn't want research on ECT. And it's very difficult to get those money. So we just kind of have to go by experience and, you know, what we learn from our patients. So, well, that's very interesting. But the thing that he told me, the one thing, you know, that I could take out about it was that he said, I was thoroughly convinced you were going to kill yourself. He goes, I was thoroughly convinced I was going to get that, get that phone call. He basically told me that I was very strong. I was a lot stronger than I thought I was. I'm feeling very stable right now. I got remarried and uh, I got a job and I never thought anyone would ever hire me again. No one at this job knows and I don't want anyone to know because I've found that that's not always helpful to let someone know because it's used against you. You come in in a bad mood one day, oh, she must be, you know, having a bipolar moment or you know, whatever, it hurts your chances, I think, in the job. But no one knows where I work now. They have no idea. They wouldn't even know who that person was. I feel like a fraud sometimes carrying around that secret, especially when I'm like, oh, we just want you to stay. We hope you never leave. We hope no one ever takes you away from us. And I'm like, oh, geez, if you go any deeper into my resume, you know, <laughs> nobody's going to take me away from, from you. But I feel like I carry that secret because I don't want them to look at me differently. I don't want them to be afraid of me. And I just kind of, I carry it around. I just go about my life and just do the best I can. But ECT is not for everybody. Just do your research, but don't be afraid to read about it. Don't be afraid to think about it and discuss it with your doctor. It may not be for you, but it, it helped me. I really believe that. But I think that, like I mentioned in the beginning, what it taught me as I was getting my notes together is that I had personal stigma about myself. <laughs> And my bipolar disorder and ECT, and I have to overcome them eventually because I do need to be honest and tell my story for, I think, for my, I call it my community, you know, for people who are suffering and they're at the wit's end and they don't know what to do. And I would like to say, well, I had ECT and this is what it did for me, but I'm just not to that point yet. But I think once I do come to terms with it, it'll help me in my recovery. And I hope that telling my experience will help someone today. Thank you so much for your story, Molly. That was really beautiful.
Thank you. And I just wanted to commend you for talking about it because it is, it is, there's so much stigma to mental health. We talked a little bit before the show started where people are like, there's a shooter and they have bipolar and you're like, no, don't tell them that. <laughs> and and it, there's a, there's a cultural misunderstanding of mental health, I think. And I hope someday it's as big a secret as I colored my hair. You know, I hope someday yeah. that it's like, it's like that. It's like, oh yeah, I got my hair done. Oh yeah, I got ETC, you know, ECT, you know, <laughs> because the, I just really think that's a strong point that having something that helps you so much and then not being able to talk about it because there are people who will judge you harshly or look yes. at you differently. And that means that if somebody else is struggling, they won't know that, wow, this really okay, wonderful person struggled the way I did. So I just have this dream that someday mental health is dealt with just like anything else. Like, oh, I went to the dentist, you know? <laughs> exactly. I had to get a root canal. Yeah, I work with a young woman who she's always talking about her anxiety and everything. And I so want to take her aside and say, but I don't feel like I can because I don't want to reveal that, you know, and I just kind of talk about it in general terms, let her know I know something about it, but that is, I don't know it personal experience, but I feel like, I've, like I said, in my community, I feel like I betray it a little bit when I don't say, well, I, this happened to me, but. But that, de that decision is so personal too. I, I also think when it comes to dyeing your hair, you don't have to tell everybody. <laughs> You know? I need to do my roots speaking of which, but, <laughs> but, but it, 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 it doesn't have, it doesn't have the same, every, every step along the way with being, owning who we are as human beings and just the, that everybody struggles and everybody suffers and nobody's perfect, that we live in this dual world of the Facebook world of here's my perfect children and here's my perfect life and my perfect house because I cleaned it for this picture and you know like and and then the reality of the messiness of what it is to be human exactly exactly and it's a disease it's it's a disease like I talk about cancer a lot or fibromyalgia or diabetes or anything like that uh, and a, a suicidal person is a dying person they're not trying to get attention they're not trying to be melodramatic they are dying it has the potential to be terminal and that's something that you know i'm really trying to get out there any you know that whole if anybody says they're going to kill themselves even if it seems joke you know, if they seem like they're joking please take them seriously at least i mean you'll feel like you've done something and if something were to happen and you just kind of blew them off you know that would be hurtful and if somebody at work talks about somebody who's suicide or whatever I always am very sympathetic and oh gosh that's terrible you know I'll say mental illness is a terrible disease what it does turns a person's mind against them it's terrible and I always tell my husband win the lottery I'm doing something with mental health <laughs> but that's another thing as I want to impress upon people who don't understand it it can be terminal and if someone is that depressed they need help badly and it's very difficult to love someone who has a mental illness you know chronic mental illness because it it pops up it could be gone for five years but it can just pop up out of nowhere 
and it's it is it is quite the marathon you know and I know that to take care of someone but again I'm like a lot of people I'm very fortunate to have a good support system of folks who understand and I know I probably put them through hell and they're still here but anyway yeah it's a serious disease like anything else and society thinks that we're so enlightened about it now and we have all these resources and People shouldn't be depressed now because we you can go to therapy, you can get all these drugs, and, you know, what's wrong with you? We're not as enlightened as we'd like to think we are. That is so true. It, the other thing I really related to was leaving your job and having mm-hmm. nobody really follow up with you, like people you saw every day for years. Mm-hmm. I had a job for seven years, and it, when I left, two things happened. I really did get depressed. I didn't mm-hmm. leave because of depression, but I got depressed after I left because I moved away and I moved to a small town and I was out in the country and I sometimes wouldn't leave the property for seven days in a row. (laughs) You know, I just didn't, I didn't have to leave. And so I didn't. And uh, it's depression lets you know who your real friends are in a really brutal, brutal, brutal way sometimes. And, And it's not to say the friends who don't keep up with you aren't really your friends. It, they they did they do and did love you, but maybe they aren't up for handling it. Right. But right. it lets you know who's there when you're at your worst. Right. And it's a, and that's a very strange gift. Depression gives strange gifts, and that's one of them. Is okay. I'm going to show you who who really loves you. And I had my friend came down in the middle of the night when I was writing suicide notes in her pajamas after she'd taken her sleeping pill. It's very dangerous for her, but she was going to come down and sit with me until my parents got there. And she is my absolute most dearest friend on the planet. But yeah, it's kind of a strange gift that it gives you. It's sometimes it, that's kind of the silver lining. There and for me over the years of depression, just and I understand when you don't call people back <laughs> for months at a time. It's okay if they decide that it's about them. <laughs> right. It's okay that, that, you know, or if your behavior is erratic and difficult to deal with, which I have been, it's okay. It's okay. Like nobody has to take on what I struggle with, okay. but it is, it is heartbreaking to see those friends drop off. Mm -hmm. you know, the little pieces. And I think that's something that everybody who struggles with depression, bipolar, anxiety, the whole, whatever they, that's an experience. That's just the experience of having that because you're not the fun person at the party. (laughs) Yeah. 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 But the people around me now, I know that there's no BS and they know all my dirt or all my you know, whatever. It's, that's just Molly. She's cool. It's all right. She's exactly. doing better now and we're happy. So. And then the other thing that's just fascinating to me is this way. I love the waiting room story of the like veterans of ECT <laughs> who are there with their IVs. They know exactly what to do. And they're like, all right. <laughs> Grabbing that gurney first. got to get in line first. So that kind of <laughs> made me laugh. So, <laughs> but also that it is, uh, that it is so helpful and it, it is it is it generally for depression and bipolar or just depression or or do you know? I, I don't. I, I, there are a lot of folks. I mean, of course, like you said, depression, bipolar disorder. I mean, I'm not a doctor, so I can't talk. I mean, I've read maybe schizophrenic that helps schizophrenic people. 
I've read that, and again, this is what I've read. I'm not a doctor, nor do I play one on TV. But if a woman is going through severe postpartum depression, that may be the only thing that they can do because they don't want to load her up on drugs. That may be an option. I don't know. Look it up. I, I read that. So to help her with you know, dealing with that. So, but yeah, I think it's, I guess it's mostly for mental health, but talk to your doctor. Because a friend just, it's its interesting that I'm talking to you because she just sent to me on Facebook a link to, I don't remember which station, maybe CBS or something, but they were showing a new machine that just can kind of spotlight, like you can be awake while they do it. It's a low frequency current and it just, it just will, they can like kind of pass it over the brain and they can show when you get to the language center, that person stops being able to talk, you know, when they get to this center and they were talking, they were talking about it specifically for depression. And, and it's maybe a less, less current, you know, there's less, less electricity going in so that there's less of a huge impact, but that it still can help with depression. And I thought that was interesting. So maybe they'll come with like a lighter dose and we can stop taking so many meds. (laughs) And you know, another thing about it is when I woke up, I was not sore. I didn't have pain in my jaw or in my muscles. So whatever they gave me, really relaxed me so there was never any pain or anything like that so anybody's worried about that in my experience there wasn't the brain is so amazing the way the way it works and the way it doesn't work <laughs> work out by the way yeah. um, but i don't know I, I wouldn't i've been through so much i'd say five major, major breakdowns i've started over I, I, i've been married three times that first one doesn't count because he had some problems but and um, lost friendships opportunities jobs i mean and the way i think i have a different i have a take on life that is actually really beneficial to me now some things that used to be a big deal aren't a big deal anymore you know i'm not afraid to speak my mind i mean i've had ECT, but who cares you know so, you know, it wasn't necessarily always that way, but I'm not afraid because I've learned if you keep it in, it just makes it worse. You know, I read that depression is really anger turned inward. So, you know, sometimes I just, and I said, well, I can't believe I said that. Let's just see what happens after that. But, and it taught me to be very forgiving of people too, to be understanding of people, you know, like that woman that deals with anxiety where I work. Some of the people in my office, even though they're good people, are kind of, she said she got anxiety. Well, well, you know, she just deals with stuff. You know, I, I, I take her side, you know, and I feel for her. Anyway, whatever we're talking about. But, it, it, again, those strange gifts it gives you, these strange gifts, gave me the gift to be more authentic, gave me the gift to speak my mind, gave me the gift to be more empathetic to people who struggle. Um, and hopefully one day I will be able to maybe have, you know, have my own podcast or get up in front of a group of people near my home and say, this happened to me. If this can help somebody, uh, that would just make me feel great. So, well, that is a perfect way to end the show. <laughs> Molly, thanks so much for being on the depression session. Oh, well, thank you very much for what you do, Laura. It's, it's, it's just, it's wonderful. And it's great service to, to humanity. Thank you. I want to mention again that if you found some of the content of today's episode triggering, please seek professional help and call 911 if you feel like hurting yourself or others. I'm not a licensed therapist, and this show and the station are not endorsing any remedies or products. The purpose of this show is to destigmatize depression through storytelling. 
You can find a link to mental health services on downtownradio.org on the About KTDT page. To listen to the podcast, or if you're interested in being on the show, contact us at www.thedepressionsession.com. You've been listening to The Depression Session on Downtown Radio Tucson with music by Septa Helix. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at The Depression Session Podcast. Thank you.